Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Um, that is our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible here at the chapel, we read God's Word, we study God's Word, and we want you to participate in God's Word. Um, so if you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible, and you can turn to page 810. 810. Uh, the title of today's sermon is called um, To Influence. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, or you've kind of been on and off. We've been in a short little four-week series. Today's our last day in the series. Um, it's called Rhythms of the Church. And what we said was that in the last couple of weeks, that the, the church historically, right, in the New Testament, where we see in Acts and we see all throughout the New Testament, and then we also see um, all throughout church history that there were certain rhythms that the people of God, the citizens of the kingdom, um, had. And, and we said there were a couple of them, um, not exhaustive, but just a few, a few that we think are important for us to mention, especially this morning. And, and the first one is to know God, right? We, we said our, our primary role um, as believers in Jesus Christ is to know him and is to know him through his word, to study his word, but, but the word should lead us to an intimate relationship with Jesus. It, it's not just checking off a box that says, I read my Bible, it's it's to say, like, I got to know the person of Jesus Christ in the word that draws me to him, right? That, that my knowledge, my wisdom that comes from the word turns into affections. And those affections that we have are stirred up in our hearts and our minds that now make us praise and worship God. Then we said, all right, uh, what, what does knowing God lead us to, right? It, it leads us to love and community that God designed the people of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He designed his people to not live in isolation, but to live in community, to do life, as um, the colloquial word in churches now is, to do life together, to live life together. For the benefit of love, right? To, to show love to other people and that we, in return, can receive love. And, and then we, we had um, an opportunity, right, to... To, to participate in that when we had home groups start up, ABFs represented in the hallways where if you weren't connected, you can be connected. And then last week we talked about what does it look like to serve. Why? Because, because God has given us gifts. We all have abilities. We all have capacity in our life to give back to what God has already given us. And we can do that in the church because God has given us spiritual gifts. These gifts are for the benefit of other people they're not for us, they're for others. Gifts that, that are not, we're not born with, but gifts that come from the Spirit so that we can reach out. And then today, we're going to talk about what, what it means to, to reach out. What does that look like? And, and what I've said was that the, the, the rhythm of the church is to influence, right? To influence. The church has a purpose. We, look at me in this room, all of us in this room have a purpose. We have a collective purpose, and that purpose is to influence. Everyone, repeat after me, influence. influence. Very good, good class. Um, everyone has a purpose, and we collectively, together, have a purpose to influence. You and I have a calling from God Apart from serving in the church, being in community, 
knowing him through his word, we collectively, the chapel here in Akron, has a purpose, and that purpose is to influence. And I think we're gonna see that in Matthew chapter five, 13 to 16. Here's why, Jesus, um, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus tells all his followers, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. Or rather, this is who I want you to be. And he uses two beautiful illustrations, so turn with me there, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Notice how he uses the word salt already two times. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Last verse, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. What, what does it mean to be influencers of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a church on mission, a church to have purpose to influence? What does that mean? Right? I think what it means and what we see in this passage is to effect change. To influence means to effect change in the world around us. This is why God has placed the chapel here in this location, right across the street from the university, right by a highway, right? Like, this is why he placed us here, to be influencers in the city of Akron. God did not call you to any other state, but he called you here. To do what? To be an influencer in our neighborhoods, among our families, our friends, our communities, our school systems, our city. God has called us to this place to effect change. And, and hear me clearly, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about a, a political change. I'm not, I'm not talking about the way we change our city and the way we change our culture and the way we change our communities is a political change. If, if we just voted for the right person, things are gonna change. If we just vote for this political party, we're gonna see change in our city. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Do not be confused, right? Our culture has said, right, the end all be all to change in our world is through political influence. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus does not say the salt and light of the earth are the political parties and the political candidates and the political policies that we create in our community. He doesn't say that there, right? Right? Who does he say are the, are the influencers? We, right? I mean, we might look at this passage and think, oh, he's talking about a country. He's talking about a nation. No, he's not talking about a country or a nation. He's talking about the citizens of a kingdom. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ. You and me in this room, that's who he's talking to, right? He's talking to us. Here's the challenge. The challenge, one, obviously we read this passage and we think, oh, um, if we want to see change, if we want to see our communities change for Jesus, then we have to 
we have to elect a political party. It has to be political. We, we're, we're not going to do it. We don't have the capacity or ability to do it. No, no. That, that's the, the, first, the first challenge we have. But, but here, here's the challenge that we're going to face as a church going forward and that every church faces. Here's, here's the challenge. It's fear. That's going to be our challenge, right? Our challenge this morning is to read this passage and be afraid. Here. Here's why. You're like, oh, no, I'm not afraid. Yes, you are. We all are. Here's why. It's very simple. Here's why. Here's why. Because as we observe the culture and the world that we live in, we look at it, and surely you and I in this room can say, it ain't good, right? It ain't good. And here's what we might feel or think as we observe the culture in our world, in our city, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, Here, here's, here's the challenge. That our efforts to affect change, our efforts, right, to be influencers in this dark world, right, is going to jeopardize our comfort. Did you hear what I said? Like, like the challenge we're going to face is that that we're gonna look at the culture and world around us and our efforts, the things that we do, the reason why we do it is going to jeopardize our comfort. Here's, here's what I mean by that. It means that, that we're going to have to be uncomfortable if we're going to look at this passage and live it out. It means that we have to be willing to sacrifice our own comforts to reach more people. Like, we're going to have to be willing to look at this passage and say that if he's talking about the church, if he's talking about you and me, that we're going to have to give up some of the things that we have. And, and what does that mean? That means, like, our time, our energy. It means that we're not going to retreat. We have to move forward. Uh, this, the second thing that we're going to have to face when we read this passage, and here's another fear, that when we look at the world around us, this is what we'll say, the world's influence is more powerful. This is a personal struggle that I have because I often look at the world. I'm more of a pessimistic. I'm like the glass is half empty all the time. Anybody with me on that? Okay, I'm like that. I don't know why, I don't know why I'm like that, but I'm not like the great optimist. I'm like, oh, this is great. No, I'm more like, oh gosh, what are we gonna do? So my heart, right, leans to this. This idea that when you look at the entire world, when we look at community, when we look at our city, like I'm tempted to think, man, this is too hard. Like the world's influence and power is too strong for us. That, that's the fear that I have, right? That, that the power of the church, the, the power that's in the church, the people of God in the church are going to have to face great adversity against the influence of the world. And, and the world's power is too big. It's too strong for us to, to handle. But, but we know that's not true, right? Like the fear is not truth. The fear is actually a lie. And then, when we look at these fears, what is our, our natural instinct? It's to disengage, right? Like, our natural uh, bent is that when we see adversity, when we look at the world around us, and we said that the world is too evil, it's in moral decay, then our desire is to move back. 
to live in isolation, to just live among just Christians and, and not to engage in our communities, not to engage in our society. Like we're not gonna get involved in the school system um, because it's, it's too corrupt. We're not gonna be engaged in the political world, meaning that we're not gonna be actively working to see change happen in our communities because it's too big, right? Like the, the world is too hard to, for us to, to, to actually see change happen. We're, we're not going to reach our city because, because our city doesn't want help and our city doesn't need our help. We're just going to stay within the four walls of our church and we're not going to do anything. We're not going to say anything. In fact, our neighbors are not believers and we're not going to talk to our neighbors about, Christ, or about Christ. We're not going to share the gospel. They don't know that we're Christians and we're okay with that. So we're going to continue to move back. We're gonna to continue to move away, and then we start turning our backs away from our city. We start turning our backs away from our community because fear tells us we can't do it. When this passage says, no, that the citizens of a kingdom, the members of the church, are not to disengage, they're to advance and move forward. It means, right, that, that we as a church are committed to see change in our school system, so we step in. It means that we are committed to see change in our neighborhoods, so we're going to lean in into the problems and issues with our neighbors when they're unbelievers. It means that when our city is in crisis or in pain and hurt, we're going to lean in and cry with those who cry, mourn with those who mourn, we're going to suffer with those who suffer because that is the call. And as we do that, the church continues to influence and influence and influence more but we do not retreat. That's the point that I'm trying to drive this morning, that we do not retreat. It's interesting in this passage that he uses two illustrations, just two, as to how we are influencers, right? Two illustrations. Look at it with me. Look at the first one. Look at the first verse. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be? So how shall its saltiness be restored? It's interesting that Jesus uses these two illustrations because he's explaining a truth about the church. He's explaining the truth about his followers. He's talking to his followers. And, and what is the truth that he is explaining? We see this immediately in the first couple of verses, but what's the truth that he's saying? This is what he's saying. What he's saying is that our world is in spiritual and moral decay. Our world, and he's talking to us right now because that's what we witness, right? The, the Bible is timeless. And we can see the truth of God's word even in our world today. So what, what is he observing in the world in the first century? And what can we observe in the first century is that our world is in spiritual and moral decay. How do we know that? Because he says we're salt. Our world is unable to see what is true and what is good. Our world, right, where Romans says, has exchanged the truth for a lie. So our world is in, in spiritual and moral decay. So what do we do? Do we retreat? No, we move forward. And how do we move forward? We move forward as salt. Look at the second illustration, right? Like salt, um, the second truth that I think he's communicating to us is this, that salt is the remedy to decay. How about that? 
Isn't that radical for us to think? We often think that the work, right, that the mission of God is solely on God, which it is, but it's through us. Salt is the remedy to gay. Why? Because in the first century, what did they use salt for? They didn't have refrigerators back in those days. I wish they did, right? Like, imagine that. But they didn't have refrigerators or freezers. So how do they preserve meat from rotting, right? Meat will rot if you do not preserve it. What did they do? They rubbed in salt to keep it from rotting. So what is Jesus communicating here, right? If our world is in spiritual and moral decay, What's the remedy to the decay? Salt. What does salt have to be done? It has to be rubbed into the meat to prevent the decay. So, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? Well, this is what it means. It means that salt preserves what is true and good. Meat is good. It's okay to eat meat. (laughs) someone likes their steak huh sounds like a like a medium rare type of guy right right like the salt preserves what is true and good and 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 listen to me there there are good things that can be done in our community there are good things that can happen in the world around us but we are the agents of those good things, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we are saved by our good works. It just means, right, that there's good works to be done and the good works to be done by the church. So, so what does that mean for us? It means that every follower of Jesus Christ is salt of the earth. You and I, you and I in this room, are the people of God, called by God, to help influence change in our culture. So when you look at the world around you and you say, this is really bad, what is your job? Step in. It's easy for us, it's easy for us to talk about change. It's easy for us to talk about what other people should do, but, but the real job is the church. Much of the decay that we see in our culture is because the church has been silent. Much of the decay that we see in our culture is because the church decided that it's better to do work of ministry within the four walls and never reach out, right? Like, let the world go to hell. We don't care because because we're saved. No, no, no. Much of the decay that we see in our culture is because we decided to retreat and hide in our four walls and say, come in here and do ministry. Come, come. We will build it. They will come. No, 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 it's for us to move out, to be involved in our community. It's for us that when our neighbors who are unbelievers, who don't know Jesus, who are hurting and in pain, that we will minister to them. Here's a great example. I lived in a neighborhood. I grew up in the Bronx. I'll tell you where I lived. Last stop on the two train, 241st and White Plains. You know you're really far away from Midtown Manhattan when the streets turn into names. So I lived on 241st and White Plains. New York City is a giant grid. North, south, east, west. Lived on a small neighborhood, it's called Matilda, on this block. We call it, New York City, we call it blocks. So I lived on a block. Now we lived in a house, and in that house, my grandparents lived on the, on the bottom apartment, and we lived on the top apartment. My grandfather was a small 
Pentecostal preacher. He had a congregation of like 10 people in a storefront church. Um, he was a good preacher. About an hour long preacher, so you know where I get it from. <laughs> so, um, my grandfather was the, the sweetest man you will ever meet. And it's only because you just changed him. Changed him. But in our neighborhood, it was multicultural, right? We had people across the street who lived in the apartment building that were Hispanic. Then the people in the houses on the right, um, they were Guyanese. And then the people down the road, they were Indian. And then there was a whole row next to us. Um, there were some Jamaicans. And then on the, on the end of the street, there was like all Italians, right? Um, all Italians. Now, if you know, the Italians were like really big Catholics, right? So here, here's, here's the interesting part. Everyone in my neighborhood, my, my grandfather's name was Ignacio. Um, but in, for some reason, I don't, know the, I don't know this, and I gotta find out why, but they call him Jimmy. Jimmy and Ignacio, <laughs> yeah. Just, just for clarity, for those of you who don't take Spanish, um, Ignacio is not translated in English as Jimmy, right? So, okay. So his name was Ignacio, but they called him Jimmy. And here's, here's what they knew in the streets, and the neighbors that he was a pastor and that he loved Jesus. And anytime there was drama in the block, whether at the building, the young families, it was two o'clock in the morning and they were pumping their music, who do they go to? They go to Jimmy. In fact, the Italians would come. Um, I remember one time there was an Italian family who didn't know any English and um, he, he owned like a small little building and he would often come like every time, any, it was usually on the weekends, um, any time on the weekends when the Italians were having family over, there was some issue that was going on and, and then if, there was, if it got really big, um, the kids would run to our house to go to Jimmy because they didn't want to be part of the issue so they would come to our house and hang out. Um, if the dog, um, if their dog was sick, who did they go to? They went to Jimmy. Because they knew he was a pastor. And he would like pray over them. He would pray over the dog because it was like, and then you see them, they're in, they're in the living room, and I'm being nosy as usual. So I'm in there, I'm watching, what's going on? And then you, like, he's praying, and okay, by the way, Jimmy, my grandfather, he barely speaks English. So like, he's barely speaking English to the Italians who barely speak English, and then all you see them do is like, you know, they're doing the sign of the cross while he's praying for the dog. Why, right, like, it's a funny story, but why, why did they do that? Because he made, it, he made it his job that everyone knew who he was and that he was a believer. That any time there was stuff going on in the neighborhood, he would go and love on people. He wasn't nosy, he wasn't like involved in people's business, but for some reason, people were drawn to him because he was active in their lives. That should be all of us. If our neighbors don't know who we are, what does that say about us? That we've decided to live reclusely in our own families. How can we see the world change if you and I are silent? And not with our words, but with our actions. Think about that. We won't see people saved, and yet we won't open our mouth to share the gospel as though we think some angel from heaven is going to come down and speak through us. God has given us the greatest gift in this world to be the agents of change in our communities, in our society. So what else does Jesus say about us? He says we're salt, salt that that 
prevents, or not prevents, but preserves the moral and spiritual gay of our society and culture and world around us. Salt, right? It, um, it's good and it's right and it's true. And we can speak truth and love. We can do what is good and right in our community so that Jesus can be seen clearly. And then what he also says in this passage is that we're light. Don't you think these are beautiful illustrations of what we ought to be in a world? He says we're light. Look at verse 14. Why are we the light of the world? We look at this passage and we think like, oh, wait, Jesus is the light. Yes, that's true, but, but Jesus now is saying, you and I are the light. Why does he say and call us the light? I think there's a couple of reasons. Just the first one is light exposes the negative influences of a sinful world. Think about that. If our world is dark, if our world cannot see the truth of the gospel, if our world is unable to understand the truth of the gospel in love, then, then if we're the light, then it is our job to expose the, the evilness and wickedness of our world so that they can see and know that, that how they live and what they do and what they believe is not how God designed us to live. We are the ones that expose the negative influences of the world. We're the ones that say, no, that is not healthy and good for our children to, to see that, to, to, to be those things. Like, uh, it is not good and healthy for our community to affirm that belief because it would negatively impact us. Like, we, we are the ones that expose, but we can't expose it if we keep our mouth shut. And the caveat is, like, as I say, like, we're not here to just like bulldoze over every single person in our community and say, we got the truth. No, our job is to do it in love. We speak truth in love. We honor people with how we say the truth and when we speak up for the truth. So we are to expose the negative influences of the world you know, I, side note, we're going on a little rabbit trail. Um, I was looking at, um, look, look with me, the second part of verse 14, and it says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what I instantly thought when I read that sentence? In the Old Testament, you know how I like the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, God designed for all the tribes of Israel to have allotted lands. Now, the only people that didn't have an allotted land for them as their own were the Levites. Because the Levites, their portion was God. But here's what they were called to do. There were six cities of refuge in the nation of Israel. And the priests were to oversee or manage these cities of refuge. And you know the purpose for the city of refuge, right? The purpose of the cities of refuge in the Old Testament is that if someone committed a crime unintentionally, if someone committed a crime unintentionally, they can run to the city and be saved. And the, what the Old Testament says, what they had to do was they had to get there before someone was going to come get them. So if they committed a crime and they unintentionally committed the crime, 
If they ran to the city, they could be saved. And meaning, they would be saved under the authority and power of the Levites until a trial was, was put in place, until they investigated who was right and who was wrong. You know why I thought about that when I read this? Because the church, the chapel in Akron, is a city of refuge. Our role as a church, as individuals, is to be a city that all people who see us can come. All people who are weary and tired, all people who are broken and hurting, all people who are lost and need to be found can come into the city that is seen. When I read that line, I said, are we a church that is seen? Do the people know that we as a church collectively, we as individuals of Christian families, are we that city where people can see we can be a city of refuge? That, that we won't judge you for your struggles. We won't judge you for your sins. Come on in. There's enough room for all of us who are struggling. City of refuge. It's a city on a hill that all people can see. I love the illustration further in this passage, right? The illustration that we see is that people are attracted to the light within the church. In this passage, Jesus talks about our good works. Last verse in verse 16. And what does he say in this passage? He says that we attract people with our good works. We're not saved by our good works, but we attract people with our good works. What does that mean? It means, right, that, that we help the people in our community, in our world, to see Jesus clearly when we serve and love them well. That's, it's very simple, right? Like, we do good things for other people. We extend grace and mercy to other people who do not deserve it. Why? Because God commands us to do it. So what, what does the church influence? I'm just give you quickly on the screen, what does the church influence? It's really easy. Oh, excuse me, um, um, the ch uh, how does the church influence in a world around us? Th this is quite easy. Yes. I think this is helpful for us. This is how the church influences. It engages, right? Meaning we are active and present in our communities in our cities. Active, right? We, 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 we go, we move into our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and we get involved with the issues that are happening. We invest our time, our energy, and our resources to reach our city, to reach our neighborhoods and communities. We, we share the gospel often with people who need to hear the gospel, and we do it in love, and, and we invite, right? We ask them, come, be part of what God's doing in the body of Christ. And here's... What else we do, right? Like, we, we not only invite them, but we help them participate in what God is doing in our church. That's our role, is to influence. That's, that's how we do it. In a moment, you're going to see people get baptized this morning, and, and that public declaration is the public declaration of influence, right? They're saying, I'm committed to following Jesus and I am committed to doing what Jesus has commanded me to do. I am going to be the salt and light of the earth. Amen. What they're going to publicly confess is 
their faith in Jesus that leads them to do the things that God has called them to do to reach their families, their coworkers, their neighbors, and their friends. The question I have for you this morning is, are you an influencer? If you're not, do you want to be an influencer? Go be the salt and light of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, O Lord, that as we seek to make your name known among the earth, that we would be influencers and agents of change in our city and in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, for your glory, for your honor. God, I pray and I ask you, O Lord, that you would do this in our church, that that our church would be known as a city on a hill, that our church would be known as a city of refuge, that our church would be known that the place where people are broken and hurting and suffering, they can come in and find rest. God, let us be agents of change. Show us how to do that. Lead us to do that. In Christ's name, the people of God say, Amen. Amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.